the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. Happy Friday, or as Brian Fromm likes to say... Friday. <laughs> always, always hip with the kids' I lingo. I get so excited when you say it, as Brian Fromm says, because I'm like, I don't know what you're going to say right now. <laughs> Chances are I didn't say it, but I'm excited. Is that is that your general posture when you hear me say, as Brian Fromm yeah. says, because you're like, what's going to come out what of his mouth next? you going to say? I enjoy that. Yeah. You do like Fridays a lot, though. That's, re- a, that's a real thing. I really like Fridays. <laughs> I do. We need to have a Friday intervention or something. I like Fridays. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. And there's a couple on Facebook. So you're looking for the one with our smiling faces. It's got a little green logo there. Yep. Just going to spell it out for you because there's a lot of traffic yep. on Facebook. And we want you to get to the right place. You can go uh, to Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us at 1160hope.com slash Common Good. You can call us 312-660-2594 or wherever is podcasts and uh, listen to us half the speed, twice the speed or whatever speed you want or normal speed. Oh, I guess <laughs> I guess that's it. I mean, if you want to be basic, I whatever. Anywho. So uh, I think it was Wednesday. There's a CNN uh, town hall on yep. climate change. And uh, I'm not even going to really set it up. Bernie Sanders said some stuff that I'm curious how you'll react to. I'm curious how. Everyone listening will react. So why don't we just play that and then we'll respond. Human population growth has more than doubled in the past 50 years. The planet cannot sustain this growth. I realize this is a poisonous topic for politicians, but it's crucial to face. Empowering women and educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? Well, Martha, the answer is yes. <laughs> and the answer has everything to do with the fact that women in the United States of America, by the way, have a right to control their own bodies and make reproductive decisions. And the Mexico City Agreement, which denies American aid to those organizations around the world that, are, uh, that allow women to have abortions or even get involved uh, in birth control, to me, is totally absurd. So I think, especially in poor countries around the world, uh, where women do not necessarily want to have large numbers of babies, and where they can have the opportunity through birth control to control the number of kids they have, something I very, very strongly uh, support. Hi, right, Brian Fromm. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, when I first heard this, I was. Uh, it's chilling to me. First of all, I will never. Uh, get over the way people raucously cheer abortion. <laughs> like, I don't know if that, what that did to you when you heard him be like, first of all, and I get that. I understand it. I understand it politically. Uh, but to people to be like, 
I guess I wish we were in an age where even people who were pro-choice and were okay with abortion would still be sad about it. Mm. Uh, but I understand the politics behind it. Um, man, it's it's such a slippery slope and such a uh, a chilling thing to say. One of the things that we are going to do in order to uh, to deal with any problems around the world is to make abortion and make the killing of babies uh, more worldwide accessible. Yeah. Uh, and you've probably seen the headlines where it's like Bernie Sanders. This is this is, down, you know, basically saying let's kill poor kids. And I get that's not what he said. Uh, but it's really chilling. It's really chilling to hear an answer of we've got a lot of people on the earth. So one of the things we need to do is to figure out how to get less of them on this earth. And, right. uh, you know, whether I, that's just chilling when I heard it. Uh, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that that Ian and I both feel very passionate about this issue, that that abortion's a big, big deal. Um, and to say that, you know what? Uh, one of the ways that we are going to curb any population issues is uh, is let's start killing the, some of the babies. Let's start uh, going into the third world countries and making sure they don't have big families or don't feel like they have to have big families. Man, that's uh, I find that chilling and beyond political and more down the road of just um, uh, unethical sounds <laughs> sounds way too way too light uh it's just barbaric it's just sad it, that's the word for it it's sad we've it's sad let me uh read some of the tweets in response to it se cup says uh let's just state for the record talking about needing quote population control through abortion for the sake of climate is talking about eugenics the mm. fact that bernie sanders is willing to entertain this vile idea is not only disgusting it should be disqualifying. Denny Burke said, a woman asks Bernie Sanders how he would help curb overpopulation of the earth. Sanders replies, I kid you not that we need increased access to abortion to curb population growth in order to prevent climate change. Killing killing babies in utero is now the answer to climate change, question mark. Mm. And there's a whole lot of others kind of in that same vein. And I'm curious if you think there are people uh, who were there that were present that felt the same way that we're expressing now, or was it like has been has your experience been that people are pretty divided on on his response? Uh, I was not watching it when it happened. Right, I saw the clips and I was like, oh, I'm going to clip click on it. Uh, there was a lot of cheering, <laughs> so uh, it, it is just wild how this is just such a partisan issue, uh, choice and abortion. And uh, but those tweets, I I tend to agree with them. Right, like that the answer we want to come to for climate change, whatever you, I think, what did the lady call it? Climate catastrophe. Uh, whatever even you think about climate issues, I don't think that the uh, elimination of lives uh, and here now we've taken up the uh, we are going to now make it easier for the poorer people to to now kill their their babies is just I just don't understand how people cheer it. And, and I don't understand uh, how we don't see how how uh, and, and beyond that, not even beyond that, but on top of that. For him to be like, America needs to now take what we do and put it on some of these countries and make it is, is also is, feels to me like the height of arrogance. But this just well, it doesn't sound like he's wanting to impose anything. Just for the record, he's talking well, he about, talked about that Mexico agreement. And he's like, that's just not right. Well, that's what they said they wanted to do. OK, so can I can I do something that the uh, the rabbis have done for generations? I'm ready. Do you play devil's advocate right now? Sure. Just go for it. You want me to play devil's advocate yeah. about yeah. what this was? Mm hmm. Uh, People in third world countries uh, don't have the choice. And so we need to give them the choice that we as Americans have. 
and that will help keep our uh, that will help keep our population down and population growth uh, in my parenthetically Bernie Sanders opinion right, right, right. Uh, is one of the most pressing issues facing uh, facing our our world and the only way to deal with it is to have less children. So, okay, that wasn't bad. Thank you. You'd be a good rabbi. Uh, <laughs> is there any part of you or any sense that you think someone listening is thinking, um, Bernie's not pro-killing babies, he's pro-giving people in poverty an option that they otherwise don't have? I think that's what he thinks he's doing. Yeah, I, okay. I, I totally do. I don't think he's standing up. That's why some I told you some of the headlines are a little clickbaity, uh, you know, where it says, like, Bernie Sanders wants to kill uh, third world babies. Yes, um, right. But that's the world we live in with clickbait and stuff. But I do think if it, it needs to be chilling for those of us who are fundamentally uh, and strongly for for moral reasons against abortion now to hear uh, our politicians say we need to do we need to make sure that this is spread across the globe uh, is chilling. It's yeah. chilling. I think if you ask Bernie Sanders, what are you saying? He's saying, I'm not saying they have to kill their kids. I think that they need to have the ability to control their bodies and Right now, the lady in Africa has no ability, so she has 10 kids, 11 kids, 12 kids, whatever And he's making the case that that's crippling to her, both economically, emotionally. Correct, and that she should have the same choice we have here. For me, that's a choice. Now we're just expanding the death of babies, and that's chilling. Yeah, and I wonder if there, I would be curious to know, in these kind of third world spaces, is is killing still happening at an alarming rate? They're just know. doing it in really unsafe ways. Like I don't, I could be really curious to know what some of those statistics are. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe there'll be a part two to this segment. Sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Still, I, it's just heart chilling. Heart, chilling is the right word. And for I know. our country, it will always remain chilling and dark and sad to me with to hear the, uh, the enthusiasm people cheer this with. Well, okay. So let me, can I take a hard right turn then to you something can. a little more positive, <laughs> something can. to kind of, I think bring some light into the world. Music therapy in NICUs can help babies get home sooner. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good, to the Hey song, by the way. Every time this song comes on, everyone within earshot has this Hey moment, yes. and it feels like we're in a music video. Yes. And I kind of love it. I've never felt cooler. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash the Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or wherever it is you get podcasts. You're looking for a podcast. We are there. We're there. We've already, we've gone before you, saith the Brian. Uh, okay, so here's a story that, full confession, legitimately might be hard for me to get through emotionally. It's about uh, babies in the NICU, and both of my boys were in the NICU, and for any parent listening, uh, Maybe that's even a bit of a uh, disclaimer, just because I know anytime that I've gone back to the NICU at the hospital where we gave birth, by the way, like it, it is sort of like a flashback moment. And you remember all the stress and all the drama and holy cow. Also, as an aside, NICU yeah. nurses are my heroes. Unbelievable. Holy cow. They were so good to us. And I have so many friends who are NICU nurses. And, and my mom was so in the grateful. ICU for a long time. She a was. while oh. ago, like. 2011 or something and i see you nurses oh my gosh unbelievable seriously and i'll tell you what especially when you're a new parent uh it is an indescribable experience to see your newborn in like a plastic box hooked up to a whole bunch of wires and a wall of machines and you're brand new and you're like i don't know what i'm supposed to be doing and oh yeah it was honestly even just like the moment of them having to take him away and then being faced with the choice of like do I do I stay with my wife do I go with my boy and like that even that moment felt like a made for TV movie it was horrific but uh, this is not going to be a horrific segment this is going to be 
An encouraging one. Music therapy in NICUs can help babies get home sooner. It says for centuries, lullabies have helped soothe babies to sleep. But it's only in the last couple of decades that research showed for premature babies, these slow, simple tunes could actually be life-changing. Rich Motes, who manages the music therapy program at Advent Health Orlando, says babies in the neonatal intensive care unit are unique patients. Quote, the mom's belly is the most protective environment for them, but when they're born early, they're thrust into this world that they're not quite ready to handle. So mm. light sounds being touched at different times, learning how to eat is even a thing as adults we don't think about, but that could also be a stressful experience for these tiny little babies. And when a baby is stressed, that can affect its brain permanently. So they go on to talk about how in these different studies – um, they've been kind of measuring the effects, how we're like in lullabies, we know, oh, they kind of soothe them to sleep and there's a pretty like externally measurable benefit, hmm. but they're actually finding far greater neurological, biological benefits to music being played, uh, in these spaces, especially for babies that are, you know, they're at, they're in danger because of yeah. being birthed prematurely. It's amazing, man. I, I'm constantly amazed by the, uh, by the human body and the human mind that, the fact that music can uh, can have an effect on a newborn baby who obviously the baby's not like mm, I like this song right <laughs> like right the fact that all right Bon Jovi exactly well if you're Jersey Nicky that that is the truth but Jersey Nicky the the fact that that this has this sort of effect to me is is just something that it's just not the way my mom works like that, that that's even a possibility it's just so cool I, I'm constantly amazed. Uh, by the human body, the human mind, and, and how these types of things link together. So let me let me just read some of the nuts and bolts here. So we have uh, Jane Stanley, who directs the music therapy program at Florida State University. It's considered by many to be the pioneer of uh, this use of NICUs. Um, she started experimenting with the with this treatment about 20 years ago after she learned kids born premature were 50% more likely to need special education when they got older. That's mm. crazy. Uh, she said, for fetuses, the neurological system develops in the third trimester, the last three months. So a baby that's born three months early is having its brain develop in the conditions of the NICU. Uh, those conditions can lead to unstable breathing and heart rates. Mm. Poking and prodding for medical procedures can also cause infants' brains to associate touch with pain. And living off a feeding tube for an external period, uh, an extended period of time can leave babies with limited instinct to eat on their own. So Stanley and the team of FSU researchers studied whether music could help. So what she said, our first study showed just playing music to buffer the noxious sounds of the machinery in the NICU could cause the babies to be discharged up to two weeks, two weeks. earlier. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Two weeks. I think it's not. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, I wonder if this kind of stuff then becomes just normal. Like, hey, we, we're going to we're going to play music in the NICU or we're going to do it this way or um, or how accepted it is. But, you know, there. We we read these things all the time about the power of music. Weren't you and I just talking the other day about like like people who have like Alzheimer's like have it really badly mm -hmm. and like music still like brings out something. I think you were telling the story, but brings out something from it's like they come to life again. There's just something about music that I think it's not just like, oh, I like this song or I like this. But there is something powerful internally that music seems to unlock within us. And clearly here they're seeing it in babies. They, we see it in older people. It, it's pretty fascinating. So the documentary I was talking about when we were talking about it last is called Alive Inside. That's which, right. That's on your homework, by the way. You got to go watch this. Like, what is really impressive is how often you said in the in the uh, uh, I was watching this documentary. I'm watching this documentary. I, it's I think I might have a problem, though. I can't. I can't. There's just so many, so many interesting ones. Yeah. Out. Like, honestly, after reading the story, I want to go find another one. I'm like, That's OK, funny. maybe someone's done a documentary on this. 
So uh, Jane Stanley later said, it's different from somebody volunteering to say, I would go into a NICU and play a harp for the babies because it's beautiful and obviously it would soothe them. She said, every baby is developing uh, developing at a different rate and the music must be applied individually. And that's what the research tells us. It may not be in every hospital's budget, obviously, to hire a full-time music therapist, let alone one dedicated to the NICU. But Stanley said, getting premature babies home sooner saves hospitals money. That's a whole other... Obviously, I'm thinking like as a parent, as someone who had to see my two boys in the NICU. Like, I obviously want them home sooner. Yeah. But there actually is a whole lot of, like, monetary value to this as well. When, maybe you said this already, but when your kids were in the NICU, I never had, none, thankfully, none of my three kids were ever spent any time in the NICU. Uh, maybe I'm sorry if she said this. Where did you sleep? Like, where do you sleep when you're, you don't stay at the hospital, right? Like, you go home, you go back and forth, your wife doesn't stay there. Is that, like yeah, we you s- get discharged like you normally would, right? Like, after we, a day or two. We stayed a little bit longer, but yeah, we, uh, yeah, we had, really to, hard. we had to go. Well, and that, again, it was the time with my two boys was so, so small. Okay. It was actually pretty wild because there's like a whole community of NICU parents that kind of rallied around you. All these people come out of the woodwork. But then you start hearing some of their stories. Like, I had a friend who I hadn't seen in a while wrote me and said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Uh, our little girl was in the NICU for three months, and it was so hard. And I was like, three, three months? months? And they, like, lived 40 minutes away. Oh, my God. Like, Owen was there for a little over a week. Yep. And we lived six minutes away. So, by comparison, no contest. You're just waking up and driving straight oh, there. Oh, my the gosh. They and that's, you got to leave. Well, that's what's so hard because, you know, as a pastor, I've gone back to this this unit a number of times for young families mm. in our church. And I have to, like, really, have to really brace myself for a little bit of an emotional wave. And that sounds... Odd to admit, I guess, no, but it's, it's a totally very emotional experience walking those halls again. I totally get that. And so I think that's a great reminder, especially for those of us who've never had to deal with that. Uh, when you hear people that these are types of people you can be praying for, but also come around and help. And also just this idea of music, man. It's it's uh, it's something I am not I'm not. Uh, we always joke, right? I'm not the artist. I'm not the music guy or whatever. Uh, but music's powerful. And so uh, I think that there's probably more to come in studies going forward about the power of music. Uh, and what it does for the human mind. Well, I, and I'm curious what you think maybe some of the hurdles might be to somebody that's like, ah, that's for hippies. I'm not playing music it's for my just, kid. It's right. It's not traditional. It's not traditional um, medicine. It's not traditional care. Uh, like, give you know, what do you mean music's going to help me? Like, it's it, this it, for someone like me or other people, you probably would like to see it happen and work and make. Oh, okay. But I have to think if my kids in the NICU and they say playing music might help, I'm like, play the music. Yeah, just do it. What's it, the downside? If there's no downside, go for it. It's funny too because in my it just showed up in my memories yesterday of me going to the grocery store with Owen a year ago, doing something that we do together every day now. When we go on our walks, I'll like beatbox, and he'll <laughs> instantly start dancing. And my memory from a year ago was that he was in this grocery cart and I was beatboxing and he was instantly dancing. And I was like, I didn't teach him to dance. That's wild. I didn't teach him. Thank God. That's, you know, to the world's benefit. But the fact that like innate in him is like this response to rhythm and this response to music. There's something, I don't know, kind of hardwired in us. And I think that's really beautiful. Well, coming up next, uh, Marsha Vaughn, who I love and has been on this show. She shared a tweet from someone who said, I literally built into my syllabus some rest and health assignments for my students. I want to unpack that tweet, this idea of rest and margin and why sometimes we're really, really bad at it. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Welcome back to The Common Good. It's going to speed up, I think, right? I think we do that every time, do we? Every time, and it never gets old. It doesn't speed up. It just, wait... 
Yeah, you get some. <laughs> you're snapping, looking off the distance. Like, this feels like <laughs> like a late '80s, early '90s, um, like sitcom beginning. Like you could see like the dad like turning and seeing the camera, and be like, "Oh hi!" Like a little wave, and he like spills a glass, and the uh, wife goes, uh, and "There's and a shrugs." There's and the kid who like does something wrong, and is like, "Ah!" She's playing know? hopscotch in the driveway. It and feels like this song fits perfectly for that. Well, I think we just created a sitcom. Yeah. Well, now we got a coming sitcom, but coming we soon to AM 1160. Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins sitcom. That would not. That's not. Some a good people idea. say that sitcom is from four to six every day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more of the sit, less the com. Uh, all right. So, Doctor Marsha Vaughn, who uh, we we had while you were gone, is that right? While was that I one was of my? Gone. Okay, so yes. she's brilliant. And Remember I, you bringing the brilliant people when I'm not here. <laughs> I just think she's. I could have listened to her talk for a whole. I just think she's got some brilliant insight, and she's uh, she's really well read, but also just has this incredible desire to help people. Some of the stuff that she posts is so good. So she reshared a, a tweet from Nicole Gonzalez Van Cleve. Cleve? I'm going with Van Cleve. Van Cleve? Yeah. Right, I was trying to make it fancier than it needed to be. Um, here's what she said. Uh, I literally built into my syllabus some rest and health assignments for my students. No professor ever told me that taking care of myself was part of my success and well-being. So... I plan to teach that this first semester, and she at Brown University, which is where I imagine that she is. Which and is a great school. It's a, yeah, it's a great school. So uh, the first comment here is my friend Charity Cook on Marsha Vaughn's posts, and she asks the question that I think a lot of us might be asking. Yep. She said, awesome idea, uh, but what would that actually look like? And Marsha Vaughn does not disappoint. She said, uh, depends on the class, but for me, it it could include any number of things. Flexibility on due dates, mm. parenthetically, with lots of communication, of course. Yep. Flexibility on readings and topics, parameters, of, uh, of course, assignments. Clarity on expectations for the end of the semester with no micromanaging. Handling breaks differently in three-hour classes, but oh. I have a different crowd now. So she's actually really thought about the benefits and how you would actually execute something like this. Yep. And I'm curious, one, have you ever had a professor speak in these kinds of terms and two what do you think of the principle overall so i can't think of a professor that i ever had who spoke in these terms but i don't want to like make it seem like the professors were uncaring i uh, we yeah, and I right. had a lot of professors who i would say were pretty pastoral yeah they cared totally. about me as a student so totally. um i would say that uh i think this is awesome that was it's funny i didn't read the comments and that was uh that was my very first question like what's a rest and health assignment and for me, it had to do with just time off. Like, we're not going to. And I was like, I'm just going to me. 20 year old college kid would have uh, probably steamrolled this and not used it for rest and health. But um, now that she unpacked it a little bit, I think it's awesome, man. Like, I mean, I get there's probably some people out there being like, oh, these college kids are all snowflakes and this and that. But like, how many more stories do we need to do about uh, the increased stress in students, college, high school, all the way down to kindergarten? Uh the health effects of it, the uh, the suicide rate going up. How many more stories do we need to do before we go, you know what, maybe we should try some differences. Maybe mm. we should try some differences. Maybe for some students, these rest and health assignments will just be silly and then not be effective. But what about for the couple kids that maybe this saves them? And I don't even necessarily even mean saves their life. That could happen. Yeah. But save, it's what allows them to even stay in school because they don't get overwhelmed. It kind of pops the balloon of stress a little bit because – Man, I've got kids who aren't this old, high school, elementary school. And I, man, my high school daughter, the, the amount of stress she puts upon herself when it comes to school, I'm constantly telling her things like, hey, just it'll be okay. Right. And then you go to college and it gets that much more. Like, I don't think that we could argue against 
uh, people dealing with our students uh, relieving stress because so much of our culture is only increasing stress and adding more to them. So I'm all for this. I think this is great. I, I think you can make the case with exactly what you just said. I could hear people saying, okay, if the world is increasing in its stress, then we need to better prepare our students for it. I could see someone making that case. Yeah, well, if we probably our world needs more rest and health. Assignments. That's that's true, but I think there are plenty of people that wouldn't agree yep. that that is the right vehicle to learning how to better cope with stress. You know, a lot of us were raised in traditions that you just hold your head down and, you know, try harder and work yep. longer. And the next person down on Marsha's post says, uh, I don't know how you assess achievement in rest, though. And then Marsha said, and there's my next research project. But the next <laughs> comment after that, though, I thought was interesting. So it's Julianne. She said, you could write up a test survey for stress anxiety levels and make them take it several times throughout the semester or record the amount of sleep they get each night and how many awake hours they spend doing something relaxing or fun or write up a paper on what lifestyle changes they make over the semester and how it affects their stress level. As a side note, this is really interesting to me now, but I would not have wanted to know these things about myself in college. Mm. And I thought that was interesting. Like someone is kind of outright saying, man, in hindsight, I applaud this, but there is... There is a level of self-awareness that comes along with actually creating space for rest and margin. And I find that to be a really honest assessment that yeah. she's like, I'm actually really glad no one encouraged me to have that kind of self-awareness back when I was 19 because I don't think I would have liked what I heard. I think that is that's a pretty interesting response. That is a valid point. I know when I was in college, like, uh, granted, it, like, like you said, what about the people who say, well, the rest of their lives are going to be full of stress and this and that college right. is altogether different. It's it, just a, yeah, totally, totally. It's there's a laboratory. Very, yeah. There's very little of what I experienced in college that feels like what I experience now. <laughs> That's right. <true. laughs> and, uh, and a lot of my stress was self-inflicted, but I could have used somebody coming alongside me and being like, Hey, let's talk about how you're doing. Let's talk about how, how about talking about how these rhythms you're in college are not going to be like when you, when you're out of college, right. And talking yeah. about those things. And on the other end, now that I'm a parent who's starting to think about college, like it's interesting to read this would make me more excited about a school like that. Oh, really? Oh, okay. That's school. Uh, Like I do think when I go visit schools, I'm going to want to know all the normal stuff. Sure. Here's another great question in this day and age. Uh, How are you going to care for my kid? Right. Spiritually, uh, psychologically, like what are the options if she or he is cracking? Yeah, right. Uh, Or is it all just achievement? Achieve, achieve, achieve. Uh, colleges eventually there to get you a degree and achieve. But like, are you, I think this, if I were sitting and this lady was speaking and I was on a college visit and we were trying to think mm-hmm. about, I think, man, like they actually care about the, the whole kid here yep. and not just the test score or not just that. I would be, I would be for this. I would be excited as a parent. Uh, and you know what? Here's the beautiful thing. If you think like you're like, this just plays into things wrong with our culture. Don't send them to that school. Right? <laughs> and send also, the other one. maybe get a heart rate tested. <laughs> that, that, you, know, you might be in danger. To, well, to me, this is almost akin to, I see a lot of memes lately about like, hey, why don't we lose trigonometry and teach kids how to balance a budget? Yeah. They teach them about investing, teach them about 401ks. Every time I see that, I think, yeah, I could have used that information yep. at 19, 20, 21. Like that, those would have been the times to know. And again, and you've mentioned this before, I'm so grateful for the men and women who came alongside me yeah. and, and and really honestly when I didn't deserve anybody pouring into me saying, Hey, it's your first year of ministry, this is really important that you seek margin, that you seek yeah. accountability. Like there there are lessons I learned in those first couple of years 
that were the direct result of yeah. people who were decades yeah. further along than me, like making sure drilling stuff into my head that I was probably just too naive to know. And, uh, and again, I think, man, to learn those lessons in an academic setting could be yeah. really awesome. I think it really could be. I've seen those memes too. And you know, part of me is like, Oh, you go to school, you learn, but man, even like the math that my daughter's doing in high school now. Yeah. Not, not that I'm, I'm great with her learning it. I don't know how to do it. Why do you hate math, Brian? And now there was a point in my life when I was in high school, I knew how to do that math, but now I'm like, I didn't I even know it then. I remember in high school real fast. I took some advanced class. My best friend flunked out of it so like early, like didn't actually fail the class, but was clearly not going to do well in this class. He's like, I'm out. So he went and took, he went and enrolled. Our school had an auto mechanics class. Uh, he learned how to change a tire and do other stuff like that. And I learned stuff that I don't ever hold. And I'm like, well, who won out on that scenario? <laughs> yeah, right. So I understand it's a fine line. It's not sure. trade schools you're going to or whatever else, but there is stuff to think about. Do How much of this do we just do? Cause that's how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. I'm learning to care for the whole person. It's yeah. probably a good idea. All right. Well, this is sort of the theme of today. Another hard right turn, a, uh, a bit that's maybe becoming a bit of a tradition for us. And that's called, Grinds my gears, yes. and Brian has a whole list ready, and I'm going to have to just figure out off the top of my head what grinds my gears. But that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is DJ... Nope. The Rev. Nope. That's... <laughs> Can I start over? My name is DJ... Sermon Fresh. Nah, I no. should have thought of this. These are all no, real bad. bad. DJ Presbyter. Nope. None of those. None of those really flow nope. for your. What nope. would your DJ name be? I. I would never have. You one. We have to guess oh. now. Just it'll grind my gears if you don't guess. Oh really? See now you've got your first topic. See there it is. Uh, DJ. Oh, I see my name Brian Fromm. I could be DJ Beefro. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of angry at how good that is. DJ Beefro in the house. Can I introduce you as DJ Beefro? Sure. Every time we do Not this particular. Th- oh, just for grind my gears. Just I'm for in. grind my gears. I'm okay. In. So I mentioned earlier, you already have one. I think you actually talked about it yesterday. You're like, oh, I have, I have one for the future. So yeah. this is your first. Here's what grinds my gears. Yeah, people who treat their dogs like kids. <laughs> that, that that gets me. And oh, no. so, do I need to distance myself from you for this? I've said many times on here, I have a dog that I adore. I love my dog, but I still know it's a dog. She's a dog. Okay. But this, we treat her like a member of the family. I, I love this dog. But the other day, my daughter and I, we were walking <laughs> oh, no. down, uh, down, downtown Downers Grove, uh, at their Friday night we have in town, we have, uh, you know, like where they, a car show. So get an ice cream, walk in, having dinner, whatever else. And we had a couple different people, not one person, a couple different people uh, that we passed by pushing their little dogs in strollers. Man, I, I wanted to. I, yeah, that bothered me. <laughs> what did you actually do? <laughs> I walked around them and then my daughter and I made fun of them. But that's a whole nother deal. <laughs> like the whole. Uh, you got your daughter in on it then. Oh, she was in. Yeah, does she have some gears that. Yeah, and it's always little dogs, obviously. I have a little dog. I have a 14-pound dog. But it's when we treat any of our pets like children. Uh, like, let's let's slow down on that a little okay, bit. Okay, but does it change things for you if it's someone that wants to have kids and can't? Or their kids have moved away and they're 
Oh, none of that changes for you. Still love the dog, but in the proper way that it's a dog. What about signing the dog's names and cards? No, none of that. What no. about um, and let me birthday gifts for the dog? Let me go back. I love my dog. Yeah, we heard you, Brian. You hate dogs. We get it. You're just <laughs> you're a hater of joy and happiness and all that is right with the world. Uh, birthdays celebrate dogs' birthdays. Is that a thing? I mean, in our family, we'll be like, oh yeah, today was Pippa's birthday. <laughs> This is the day we got Pitbull a little while ago. But you're not like getting him fancy feast or anything. You're not. No. Okay. There's people who throw their dogs birthday parties. Yeah, that's true, man. People. Come on now. Man, I I don't. It doesn't bother. Whatever. I'm like, live your life. If it makes you happy to put a dog in a stroller and to sign their name in a card, it just. I'm fine with it. Oh. It's your joy. It hurts nobody. Knock yourself out. That's how oh. I feel. See, that's inclusive, Ian. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not good at this segment. When, I, you, when you see people coming at you with a stroller with a dog in it, do you in, do you instinctively make fun of them? Oh, in my head, yeah. Or mm. to your wife after you pass them, will you verbally make fun of those people? Mm, it depends because I love dogs so much. So I'm like, I told you I love. That dogs. was like silly, and I wouldn't do that. But yep. I, yeah, I. <laughs> It's interesting. Maybe I would in my head think that's a little odd, yep. but it doesn't like I would never say it doesn't reach grind my gear status. So do you have an, do you've got one? <laughs> so I've got a list of them. So you yeah. do. OK, can you buy me a little <laughs> more time? This is turning into my segment. Yeah, I'm realizing that. I don't even need to be here. So when we go out to restaurants, OK, you ever been a waiter? I have. Yes. Okay, so I've, I'm going to own this. I've never been a waiter in oh, my life. Oh, you need to okay. for a month. Can we work that out? I think I'm a little past waiter no, stage in my life so. right now. No. Uh, so. I am a waiter in some ways. I have three children. And so. Touche. <laughs> mm. uh, I have a bit of a pet peeve when we go to a restaurant and I'm I'm a big tipper. Uh, I love waiter. We try to be very nice to the waiters. It's when that waiter comes to your table and there's like a lot of people at your table. Like let's say we're out with my parents and there might be seven people at the table, eight people. And they think it's a badge of honor to take your order without writing it down. Man, because, Brian Fromm, you are too high strung. Because is, well, because what always happens is they either get it wrong or they come back and ask you, "What did? How did you want your burger done?" I'm like, write it in the little pad. The technology exists. Like write it in the pad. And every time they do it, I turn to my wife and I'm like, "This, I just write it down." Because you can see they're like, it's like they're playing like some great mind game. Like, okay, iced tea, diet coke. Do you win points for this? Tea. What are you doing? I'm not going to tip you more. I'm like, good job, good job. Let me tip more. I only care that you get the order right. That's what whether, I'm here for. Whether right. you write it down, yep. whether you do, just get it right. And right. I, you've now raised the level of getting it wrong <laughs> by not writing right. it down. That's a pretty good one. You mentioning restaurants, got it's got one for me. You ready? Right, I'm ready. And this is so weirdly specific that I don't even know that it will apply to anybody. So I don't get like proper date nights with my wife very often right now. Oh. We're in a, you know, in a unique season. And on Saturday, no, Sunday, I think mm. it was Sunday, uh, got a babysitter. And so, of course, we like planned it pretty far in advance. And I'm an obsessive planner when it comes to that stuff. So I'm like, literally, Brian, I'm not proud of this. I'm reading dozens of websites on most romantic spot in Naperville area. Best view. Best. I'm reading reviews. And I'm like, like, I'm doing this while everyone's sleeping. Like, you know, beautiful mind. Like, it's just it's chaos. So I I, I picked this place in Wheaton because of the rooftop. People say there's Which diffuse. Place? I don't want to say. Okay. I don't. Oh, because this is going to turn. <laughs> right. So I, this is why I got a best okay. view of the city and the weather was great. I was like, oh my gosh, okay. we're doing it. My bride and I are going out so pumped and we get there and uh, I had reserved through open table. I'd given a note. It's date night. And we got two little ones, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, hi, welcome. Um, the rooftop is closed because we're doing some repair work or whatever, but we have a table for you over here. And I was like, I was so bummed. I was like, don't let it ruin the night, Ian. Don't be that guy. 
So at the end of our meal, which was great, by the way, uh, the waitress goes, uh, oh, you know, we have a rooftop. You should really. And I was like, yes, I do know that you have a rooftop. Uh, I I'm here because of the rooftop. And she's like, yeah, we have a close right now because we just didn't have enough staff to open it up today. And I was like, excuse me. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like the hostess said there was repairs. And she's like. There's no repairs. Oh, I was like, no. oh. And I said, my wife gave me this look like it was still a lovely evening. Don't, <laughs> it's okay. don't be that guy. But I, so maybe that's not really a grinds my gears, but I had like oh, done all this work. Cause I, and the irony is I don't even really care about it for me. I did all this work. Cause I like want her to have this tremendous time. Yep. And what I historically will sometimes do is it will like so get in my head that then I become miserable to be with, and then I'm the one that ruins the date yep. way more than the rooftop. What about the lying hostess? <laughs> right, yeah, totally. So I'm actually, I'm pretty, I'm getting better at being like, okay, okay it was still a good meal. We had a good time. Uh, we, we went and got dessert somewhere else, but it was that sort of like, oh, do you guys know we have a rooftop? And I was like, yeah, yes, yes, I know you have a rooftop. Yeah, that's that's why I'm here. So that's bad. Does that count? That was a good one. All right, thanks. Uh, so, uh, John, can I can I share this one? What you texted us here? <laughs> Uh, no. He gave us your DJ name. Oh, jeez. I told you already that I had a friend that used to call me that in high school. <laughs> Didn't I tell you that? I think so. Just tell everybody what it is. Yeah, she used to, I was homeschooled, so I would go to the high school for a couple classes a day, so people didn't really know me. I was going to the high school for stuff that, you know, we couldn't do at home, and my friend always called me Pimpkins. So she'd be like, down the hall, and she's like, what up, Pimpkins? And I was like, please stop. No one here knows me. That's not a nickname that I think I should be given at all. So we could go with that during this. We could go with Beefro and the Pimpkin. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't like that at all. Please get me another DJ name. PJ is freaking out right now. He's really <laughs> unhappy that we went this direction. If, if you if he you kind of put me on a spot there, Beefro. Like, well, that, that's who you get for texting us during the segment. I texted you as words. Yeah, you that's what texting them. is. Text by definition is words. You don't have to talk about them. Uh, well, we, you could have oh, waited until the segment was I over. Thought, it was funny. You're right. You're I'm, right. I'm team Beefro on this one. Or Befro for those... With an accent? Does that count? No, I don't think That's so. That's funny. All right, That's so funny. That's good. I, I don't know if this segment is here to stay or not, but oh, uh, I oh, think that, yes was, it is. that was pretty fun. All right, so coming up in the second hour, uh, this school is giving students PE credit for doing something super fascinating. I'm going to talk about that story and a whole lot more coming up on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with... What was your name again? Brian Fromm. Brian Fromm. It's yes. tip of my tongue, Brian. I'm so yep. sorry. Thank you for won't, joining won't us. Won't happen again. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Have you ever had like a really awful forget someone's name moment, by the way? Like someone you really should know or you've had conversations with? Yeah. Like, it's never like, oh, we're really close. But I've had many times at church where I'll go grab a buddy and I'll be like, I need you to go find that person's name. <laughs> oh, like, really? Go, oh, yeah. Go introduce yourself to because our church is small enough. That it's really, if someone's been there for two months, yeah, it becomes a really difficult thing for me. For other people, yeah, people right. like, I never saw that person who's been here a year, but as the pastor, it's a, it's a d- difficult one. So I've got a certain buddy, especially, I'll be like, 
because uh, he likes to introduce himself. To, I'll go, oh, so he's go, like your go-to. Yes. I'll be like, <laughs> go introduce yourself to that person. Okay. Because uh, you've never met him. Right. So, Or even if you have, be like, hey, I totally forgot your name because it does that doesn't sound weird. Right. Uh, and then come back and tell me. Oh, my so God. Like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> we, know, we know your trick now. So have you ever been like caught, though, not knowing someone's name in the moment and they no. called you out? Not that I can think of. I'm pretty good also being like, hey. <laughs> 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 like we're just that's your big trick hey, hey you <laughs> what's up buckaroo hey pal <laughs> hey what's partner up, what's up sport there you hey go. there tiger you probably shouldn't uh, like just keep walking because i i'm running out of ones yeah. to talk, so i should tell them <laughs> i remember a few years ago somebody i must have just been wearing it on my face because uh we were in the lobby somewhere and they walked up and they said something and then i think it was the, the woman that was with she was like you don't remember my name, do you? And I was like, don't say it like that. that. Yeah, real sassy wow. life. Yeah, you caught me. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what I want to talk about. But uh, all right, it was so, a funny Seinfeld yeah, episode. It turned a little dirty. But yes, that was a funny one. It was pretty funny. All right, so I mentioned earlier, there's a, uh, a school that gives students PE credit for doing something really interesting. I want to talk about it. So it says, forget dodgeball, <laughs> soccer, or other boring drills. Uh, never found dodgeball boring. Yeah, agreed. I already disagree with this article. <laughs> One school is swapping out these traditional physical education activities for yard work. Mm. Students at the Alternative Learning Center, the ALC, in Dubuque? Dubuque? Dubuque. I know. Dubuque. Dubuque, I know. Dubuque, Iowa, can now receive physical education credit when they help senior citizens or people with disabilities with their landscaping needs. But those receiving help with their landscaping aren't the only ones who benefit. The school itself provides an alternative setting for junior and senior high school students who have struggled to succeed at more traditional schools. These students have been identified as in danger of dropping out of school entirely. At the ALC, they can focus on project-based and independent learning opportunities designed to get them back on the path towards graduation. I'm going to stop there and just get your reaction. I think it's awesome. Really? We talked about it the other day that um, that sometimes we just do things because that's how we've always done things. Right, totally. So uh, I love PE class, right? Like dodge. That's why we made that joke about dodgeball and this, that. But even my wife was a PE teacher before we had kids. And even she was doing things a little differently than we did, right? Like you could tell they were trying to focus on other things. And, And so for this school to be like, and, and notice that this is a very specialized school, too, right there. They worried that these kids are that, you know, they, they've identified them somehow as kids who are more likely to drop out. And so they're going like, A, how do we give them skills before right. maybe they do drop out? Or B, how do we engage them? Right. How do we get them? And I just think it's great. They're saying, uh, let's have them. Uh, learn some skills that are going to be good for them. Let's have them serve, which is also good. And the people that they're serving are getting the benefit, you know, the elderly or the disabled who who either can't or it's not a good idea necessarily for the elderly to be mowing their lawn in the middle of the, you know, or late uh, early summer or late summer, whatever else. Uh, I think it's a win win. I think this is a cool idea. It's another example of thinking outside the box in education. Yeah, here's let me read some more of the details because I think this is a brilliant idea. It's actually in my mind, so brilliant, I'm a little embarrassed I haven't heard more about this. Yeah. Like, it just makes sense. It says the landscaping program in particular has proven beneficial both for the students and the community. It's helped in building relationships, too, resulting in social invitations to the students uh, from those they're working for. The kids do whatever homeowners need for about two hours a day during the last few school weeks, including raking, pulling weeds, cleaning gutters, cutting bamboo, even tending to chicken coops. Uh, and then it says later in the article, Men's Journal reports that for a 150-pound male moving the lawn, uh, moving the lawn, that's actually a typo. <laughs> you can verify, right? Yes. I didn't misread that. 
mowing the lawn, I'm sure is what it meant to say, uh, can offer a four. Because moving the lawn, now that that's would be some way work. more choleric output. <laughs> mowing the lawn can offer 408 calorie loss per hour. One hour of hedge trimming burns about 238 calories. Raking the leaves for an hour will burn 292 calories. And weeding the garden burns 160 calories in just 30 minutes. These activities also work out your shoulders, back and core, not to mention there's the satisfaction of a job well done. So I like that someone's not just said, hey, this would be good for the community and we help people out. They're like, no, we're actually accomplishing what this class is supposed to accomplish just in like a new creative way. I, I love that approach. And it's helping the town. It says they also uh, do stuff like cleaning up golf courses or a river barge. So it's not even just families, but I, I think it's a win-win. I'm sure you asked, why don't they do, why don't more schools take it like this, do this because schools have lots of kids. Yeah. It's a, probably an administrative nightmare. You got to go out and make the, the you've got to meet the people in the community. So to be able to do it with 29 kids, I do wonder what ideas like this could look like on a grander scale, it could really right. transform towns and do stuff. Uh, but I can understand why this isn't the norm, right? Like this, mm. the, the, the problems it can do. But man, I was talking to a buddy of mine this past weekend, a good friend of mine who's a high school teacher. Uh, and him and another teacher, uh, I'm going to get some of the details wrong, but they uh, they were basically commissioned to start a new program in their school that targets kids uh, who have problems. It, basically, it's the type of kid who would score well on a test, but do really badly in school. Hmm. And we all know the kids like that who like if they actually applied themselves or they're good, right. to, but, but they're just bored with school or just don't care. Right. And, you know, if you just keep throwing them in regular classes, that's not helpful. And so. This guy and another teacher created a whole program where like kids have to basically be identified like this kid is right for this, where there's a whole lot more engagement and they go about lit and social studies and stuff in a different way Hmm. that really engages these kids. And when he was telling me about it, I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah, right. But but it takes work on his end. Uh It takes the school going. This is something we need. It might take some more money identifying kids. It is a lot easier, right, like to do the status quo. That's true in everything in life. It's always easier to do the status quo. Uh, But, you know, churches, schools, whatever else, when we ask ourselves what's the best for uh, what we're trying to accomplish, sometimes these types of changes are are really healthy. Well, if I could brag on my parents again, uh, who are, I think, way ahead of their time, 25 years ago, a a part of our curriculum, kind of unofficially, was that we would go and help grandpa with yard work and my grandpa is, I mean, just legitimately brilliant. So it was never just mowing the lawn. It was him teaching us about this motor or showing us the, you know, kind of the development throughout the years of these different tools. So like we'd spend five or six hours with him. And I remember the first couple of times it happened being with him and then going home thinking, Oh man, now I still have a full day of school. And my mom being like, did you learn some stuff? Mm. I'm like, yeah. She's like, could you recite any of it back to me right now? And I would. And she's like, all right, well, we're done for the day. I was like, wait a minute. That, like it, it honestly, cool. even from you know an early age of ten or eleven, I remember that really kind of unlocking for me. Like, wait a minute, I I learned that and it was enjoyable. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to. I didn't. I didn't end up with this like this sick feeling in my stomach about education yeah. because they like opened the doors of possibilities of what it looked like. And I, it's not surprising to me at all. It says uh, I've had students that graduated and then have come back to help. There's something about helping people uh, that really need it. And I think we say this in churches all the time, right? Like. Sure, we expect the person on stage to say, hey, you should really join a team. Yep. You should give back. And the kind of big secret is once you're actually in it, you realize there's so much life in it that, you know, maybe it took someone dragging you, kicking and screaming to get there in the first place. Yep. But giving back and being a part of actually 
serving people is it's kind of like generosity like giving money away seems insane yep why would you ever do that and then when you actually live generously you're like holy cow how did, I ever, how did i ever live stingily you know yeah. and i don't think the question when we read an article like this the question for me isn't why don't more public schools do this why aren't we doing this it's yeah it's cool when they do but i think the real challenge is like how as parents can we be creative with our kids to like the school might not be able to get my kid to go mow a lawn, but I can, like your parents did, uh-huh. I can instill that in my kid. We can have these sorts of lessons. Like, don't go from here going, man, I wish I had that in my public school. Maybe right. ask the questions, how can these types of lessons creatively be done in your family? Totally. All right, well, coming up next, I want to talk about Dave Chappelle. I don't know if you were a fan of Dave Chappelle back in the day or now that he's returned, but he's been in the news. Right. He's got a bunch of Netflix specials, and he's kind of going after, like, PC culture yes. in a pretty aggressive way. So I want to I want to talk about that a little bit and what that means maybe for Christians, for the church, and maybe a way forward in the midst of all that. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the interwebs. Just type in, oh, don't do this. Don't type in Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm nope. because apparently something happens that makes Brian Fromm very sad. I'm not going to tell you what it is. If you choose to do it on your own, though, just I want you to know that an angel is losing its wings or <laughs> something like that. All right. So um, Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. is a comedian that way back in the day, like when I was in high school, just most of my friends loved. And I don't did you was that were you a Dave Chappelle fan when you were a kid at all? Was that? No, like your- I mean, he wasn't around when I was a kid, but I also, I, 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 I was like not, I didn't not follow him for any reason, but it wasn't, I never really watched his stuff. Okay. So he had, he had uh, that was a long winded way of saying, <laughs> I wasn't a big fan, but not for any bad reason. I think that was almost the same length of time the second time. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have the Dave Chappelle show and then he just left it for a while, right? Yeah. Like he went away. And I don't even, I'm not going to talk about that, but he, yeah, his departure was very, um, Barry Sanders-esque, if I might say. Just sort of, so he had the Dave Chappelle show, and he had movies, and he had stand-up specials, and he kind of just walked away. Fun fact, by the way, I was visiting a friend when I was in college who lives in the same town as him, oh, in no a little town in Ohio, and I didn't believe them. They're like, yeah, you know, Dave Chappelle lives here. And I was like, no, that can't be true. So I was walking with the family, and they went into a store to use the bathroom, so I was waiting on the street, and I looked down the street, and I'm like, well, that's pretty funny. That guy kind of looks like Dave Chappelle. And as he got closer, I was like, wait a minute. That is Dave Chappelle. And he just like walked by with his yep. boy. And I was like, hi, Dave Chappelle. It was not cool at all. He said that? Yeah. And he kind of gave me this look like, what's up, man? Yeah. Calm, calm down. And then he kept on walking. I actually wa- I heard, wa- listened to a podcast. And now that you say that, they talked all about Dave Chappelle living in it still in this hometown in Ohio uh-huh. that he'll show up at like town hall meetings. Oh, yeah. Like he's just a part of the community, which Tot- is really strange. Totally. I think it's I think it's really great. So he's got a new Netflix special called Sticks and Stones, and uh, he's kind of taken aim at, like, political correctness, and if you watch it, and again, here's the disclaimer. Disclaimer. It, it, I mean, it's vulgar. Naughty it's, words. It's rough. All, all sorts of naughty words. So just be mindful of that. You probably know what you're getting when you dive in, but anyway, I just wanted to say that. But he's kind of going after, it seems like nobody's safe almost. He's, he's kind of poking fun, and he's taking some more serious shots, yep. and some power structures, and there's a particular bit uh, that isn't all I want to talk about, but I want you to hear a little bit from it, because I think it kind of gives a taste of what the special's actually like. Just afraid of being attacked. Happens to the best of us. Don't ever forget what happened to that French actor. You know what I'm talking about? 
Juicy Smoulier. He's a very French, very famous French actor. Y'all never heard of Juicy Smoulier? Juicy Smoulier is an actor from France. And he became famous on a show called Empire. Can you imagine if you was a police veteran taking this kid's police report? Okay, Mr. Smoulier, please tell me what happened. All right. 2 a.m. You left the house at 2 a.m. It's minus 16 degrees. You were walking. You were walking. All right. And, And where were you going? Subway. Sandwiches? That's when the men approach you? Did you see them? Do you have any? Okay, what do they have on? MAGA hats! MAGA hats on in Chicago? Excuse me one second, Mr. Smoulier. Frank, come here for a second. Find out where Kanye West was last night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he's obviously talking about Jussie Smollett. We've actually done uh, a couple of shows about that whole exchange in real time as it was happening, and it was a really hot button issue. And you saw the internet's outrage, and you saw Hollywood's outrage, and that's kind of why I think a lot of people are talking about Dave Chappelle because he's taking some pretty interesting, peculiar positions on some of these things. And I was just talking about it yesterday, the day before, that I I think in a lot of ways, comedians are modern-day prophets. And so there's this article that I actually think I saw my brother post, and it just says, in defense of Dave Chappelle. Mm. And I'd love for you to just sort of, not really being a Dave Chappelle fan, one, what do you think of just that clip? And two, what what do you think of this article? Yeah, I think I just love to listen to something where you can just laugh. So it, uh, it was funny, but I have been following a little bit of... Like uh, people being so mad about his Netflix special because it, it's he like you said, he doesn't pull any punches on anybody. Uh, and so people from uh, particularly, quite frankly, people from the left are mad because they're like, well, we didn't expect him to go after us. And hmm. and he's been going after this kind of uh, let me read this line from this article. It says it's so absurd to accuse Chappelle of punching down. On the contrary, most of the show is a series of slugs at an increasingly powerful force in the culture today. The force of outrage mobs. Mm. And basically he's saying, I'm going to make jokes about this and it's going to, it's why comedy is so hard in our culture now because people can't like differentiate, oh, he's just poking at this or this or that. But we get, we take everyone's words literally and, and then get mad. And so I think it's fascinating that he did basically a whole Netflix special just kind of going at the outrage mob. Uh, and, and, uh, he he was effective from what we're seeing because there are a lot of people very angry with his show, even though it did very well. Do you think that was his goal? I think so. Yeah, I think he he. If you read up on Chappelle, he uh, he likes to poke the bear, and so I think he went into this going, "Here's what I think is crazy about our culture, and I'm going to highlight it, and I'm going to make jokes about it, and I'm going to show it, and I'm going to make people really uncomfortable. I'm going to bring them to that edge, which again is what you said." comedians often do right that's kind As of their role profits. exactly that's their role <laughs> in the culture and so i think he said i'm going to offend people all over the place because that's what comedians do and uh yeah and it 
it was uh, it was there were some segments of people who did not receive it well. And that's OK. That's that's up for those people. But but maybe it's not that cut and dry. Maybe it's not OK. There's I mean, there's a segment where he goes after yeah. LGBTQ. There's a part where he's like he's doing a, a, a pretty offensive impression of someone from China. Like mm-hmm. he's he I uh, kind of essentially said he doesn't believe the people that are accusing Michael Jackson of molestation. Like some of the stuff that he's going after, it's not just, well, if that's not your brand of humor, then no big deal. I think part of the out- the outrage is that they're thinking, hey, some of your rhetoric here is actually damaging. It's not helpful. And that's what I think is so interesting because he, you know, because he disappeared for a long time. I, I, I said it to my wife when we watched it. I said, it feels like he almost was in a time capsule a little bit. Oh, really? And so like while he was, while he was away from the spotlight, you know, he he wasn't maybe necessarily developing with the same level of sensitivity that everybody else was, which makes what he's saying now so interesting to me because it kind of cuts through all that noise. And I don't I don't know what his goal was. Obviously, I don't know if he actually wanted people to be all right. Maybe like the role of the prophet, he's wanting people to like realize what makes them uncomfortable and ask yeah. the question, why are you so uneasy about this? Maybe, I don't know if that was his goal or not, but I think that seems to be a lot of what's happening. The article special. says here, Chappelle is doing exactly what good comedy should do, which is to make us laugh while also forcing us to confront our own confusions and moral inconsistencies. Uh, again, was that his goal? He never said, like, I'm trying to accomplish this. I think he would have said he probably knows why he wrote certain jokes, but, you know, I want to make people laugh like that's the goal here. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what the role of comedy is going to be in our future of our culture, right? Because uh, I was listening to a podcast with a comedian. Who were they talking to? Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Seinfeld. Yeah. And this was what their conversation was about. Like comedy of the 80s or 70s or 90s is very different from what you can do now. And we talked about Sarah Silverman and how that played out. Uh-huh. And so uh, that's I, there's an argument to be made there whether that's right or wrong that maybe you're sitting there going no that's how it should be like we live in a more sensitive culture or no that's what's wrong with our culture my point is that's how it is and it's going to be really interesting uh as people like Chappelle and others kind of poke at that are they accepted do people go oh yeah we are kind of ridiculous or do they push back and go nope this isn't okay anymore i think that's going to be really interesting to see the way that plays out well and you even like guys like dice clay who he was offensive even in his day it wasn't like, oh man, looking back, some of that Dice Clay stuff is like, no, there was some shock value for some him. of Carlin stuff. Even then, was crude, and I don't know that they would even disagree with That's that. That's a valid to point. Be honest. And I wonder, maybe this is a whole other conversation for another time. Is there a place even sometimes for the quote crude in the Christian sphere? Do, oh. Does that ever have a place in sermonizing, in formation, in Christian ministry? Is there something to that? That shocks us or wakes us up out of our funk. Is there is there value to uh, to methodologies or approaches or even sometimes I don't know language that we wouldn't typically see in these fears? I'm not yeah. I'm not really sure how to answer I, that. I guess I would probably lean towards there's certainly a place for shock value. I'm not sure that I would sign on for crude. I think there's a difference there, but I also know that sometimes those are linked. So it would be an interesting conversation. Well, and I think the Old Testament prophets would disagree. Yeah, I, I think know. a lot of what they did could be defined <laughs> at least in that context. As very, very crude. Come, come, to, come to the yellow box this week where Ian drops no, it. No, oh, I'm my kidding. gosh. Brian, what a way to end a second. Like, we were kidding. almost out. Did you we see were, me? I'm like a comedian there. We were almost free. <laughs> we're almost free. Coming up next, these new glasses will physically nudge you if you do this one thing. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. Find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. 
forward slash the common good. And uh, here's how I kind of teed it up a little bit. These glasses will physically nudge you if you do this one thing. Here's how the article starts. 1984, Brave New World, Minority Report, The Jetsons. The Jetsons. Sci-fi classics that anticipated a future seemingly light years in the future, but now tantalizing terrifyingly close. And now another dispatch from another corner of the sci-fi genre. This one is truly distressing. A gadget that will monitor your brain and physically nudge you if your mind wanders, goading you into paying attention. It doesn't look quite as terrifying as the contraption in A Clockwork Orange, but, well, if the end result is the same, do the aesthetics really matter? It's called the Attentive View, and it doesn't look much more uh, high-tech than a pair of glasses, but according to MIT, it uses, quote, brain activity as well as eye movement sensors to measure engagement of a person in real time and provide either audio or haptic feedback to the user when their engagement is low, thereby nudging them to become engaged again. What do you think? Uh, I think this is fascinating, and I would never use it. No? No, why? I wouldn't. Why uh, not? I don't know. I, I knew you were going to ask why not, because that was the obvious follow-up question. Sure. I, it feels way, uh, it feels really robotic. And I've again, that probably isn't a bad thing. Uh, my first initial response. And then I read it later on here is that, um, there's something to be said about learning to become attentive, right. And learning, training yourself of how do I pay attention? And, uh, this feels a little bit like, you know, the mouse getting a buzz when it wanted a, you know, a buzzer when it wanted a piece of cheese or something. There's something that feels weird about this. Uh, that could just be me. I, I, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong. So I'm not suggesting like, oh, stay away from this. This is the mark of the beast. But <laughs> I would say there, I just personally, there's something weird about this that I'm having trouble putting my finger on, but I probably wouldn't purchase one of these. All right. Let me, let me read just a little more and see if I can't convince you. Uh, because before I do, we already use all sorts of robotics to I control know. our behavior. You're going to read a bunch of stuff that's going to show me to be kind of like, just kind of uh, off on this one a little Maybe bit. Maybe you're just, are you just not an early adopter? Is that what probably, it is? Probably, probably. And you actually, this isn't a great example because you mentioned you don't really need an alarm clock, but at some point in your life you did, right? That's yep. a machine telling you when it's time to wake feels up. like when you put the shot collar on your dog so it doesn't run out of the front yard. There's well, something about that on this. Strap in because it gets weirder. Uh, these <laughs> nudges apparently take the form of bone conduction auditory feedback, which is a fancy way of saying this device uses your own skeleton as a private amplifier for a little noise and physical bump to get your mind back on task. Sound a little invasive? Well, then just pay attention and this will all be over soon. <laughs> in MIT's world, this is a novel way of keeping students engaged both in the classroom and during online lectures. It also mentions other everyday tasks like driving, reading, watching videos, or writing. And I think that there's some interesting motivation, at least, because all the things they just list, do we want yep. people more engaged in class? Sure. Do we want people to pay better attention when they're driving? Absolutely. Would it be nice to better engage with what we're reading or paying attention with an online lecture? I think all of those things are good. My big issue, and we've talked about this before in a number of different ways, we are losing, I think, an understanding of how powerful boredom can be. Mm. When it comes to the creative process, when it comes to our own neuroplasticity, we're so constantly engaged and we have access to engagement whenever we want. Now, I'm speaking as a total hypocrite, by the way, because literally as I'm talking to you, there's 18 tabs <laughs> open on my laptop. Like, I'm this guy. Like, so I read this and think, all right, maybe that would help me focus. Maybe that would help me actually sit through 
10 chapters of reading without, you know, constantly scanning all of my social media sites. Maybe not because I could just take the glasses off. Yes. But I do think there is something being beaten out of us with this constant access to things all the time. And part of what freaks me out about this device is that it elevates focus as the highest aim. Now, obviously, uh, focus is super important. Yep, We've created yep, medications yep. that have helped people tremendously to do just that. Uh, but I actually really like the way this article ends. It says, we live in a world replete with distractions, so it's not hard to see the problem this device is trying to solve. But it's human to let your mind wander. Mm. It's normal to daydream, to get bored, to start thinking about things like outer space or pirates or Wonder Woman or basketball, romance, dolphins, and even God during classroom lectures and homework. Learning to discipline your mind to stay on task is a good thing, but when we start enlisting mind-reading, bone-conducting robots to do the job for us, it's fair to wonder how much of our humanity we're sacrificing to the idol Ooh, of productivity. That's good. That, I think, and I think they're right. Productivity then becomes sort of this highest aim, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, let's be honest, it's the easiest to measure. It's really hard to empirically measure any of the benefits of daydreaming or wonder or awe without an you know without an mri machine in your basement like it's yeah. hard to really grasp but of like man brian crushed it on that report or they finished his class with 4.0 or whatever that stuff is measurable and i think yeah. it's part of why we celebrate it so much yeah there's something i'm trying to still think of what it fears there's just something that feels really dehumanizing about this uh and i get it we live in a culture that is going more towards uh our, robotics and artificial and all this stuff like and i'm sure i have things in my own life like you said with my phone or whatever else but there's just something that feels dehumanizing and weird about this but there's also something also there's the whole other side of going wow it's gonna like it's reading stuff in my brain like is this healthy is this like yeah uh again i i do i i can't imagine i would try these on and think it was like fun to try it out but man i just feel like it would be weird hey everybody in church here put on your glasses so that when when i'm when you're losing <laughs> Well, that's a little more self-serving, but you think about like even the technology in newer cars when you drift in your lane yep. or I mean, even something as simple as backup camera, like a lot of this stuff has actually been really helpful. So the in, safety of cars, when I read that in this, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. They be nodding off in class. I'm like, oh, that, what if a kid legitimately is struggling to focus and like mm -hmm. something like that? Okay. This isn't a whole lot different. And maybe it's because my brother's a chiropractor. I've seen a lot of electronic devices that people have like put on their backs to uh, help them pay attention to when they slump, oh, to like improve yeah. their posture. Like mm -hmm. something about that little vibration is like, oh, that's right, I'm slumping. Like, do you ever have that moment where you've been sitting at your laptop for an yeah, hour? Yeah, yeah. And then you like come online for a second and you're like, wait a minute, I'm sitting. I can't stand up in right a, now. Right, in a horrific way. Yeah. If there's something, some little device, I was sort of like, hey, man, pay attention to your spine. Yeah. Your spine really matters. This is a pretty important thing to be mindful of. In the same way, you could argue this is sort of like that. This is sort of like, that little beep when you start drifting in your lane, like, hey, you're yep. here for a class, like, pay attention. Yep. There's something, again, like, I would love to hear people's feedback. Do it at Facebook or however else you can get to us. I would love to hear what people think about this because yeah, same. I am uncomfortable by this, and I don't think I would ever do it, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I totally would understand if people are like, no, I think that's really cool. Like, I get it, and I can't even really say why this makes me this weirds me out a little bit right, it just me, does and let I don't me ask think this question better. then what is there something that you're okay with now that like 15 years ago you're like oh that's weird hmm i'd have to think on that what, what what would come to mind for us i don't know for me one of them is how people give to churches i know 15 years ago people giving online or via debit card yeah. and there's a big movement of like no it needs to be physical cash or a written check and now it's like 
it's almost expected that you have a, a giving app or something online or a website. Yep. Some yep. churches have kiosks. They do. There's a lot yep. of places that still feel real weird about having yep. a kiosk in your lobby. Like that's one that comes to mind for me that like I legitimately remember people saying, if you're not writing a check, it doesn't count. Doesn't count. Like, and just the, I mean, even just to make it grander, just the whole concept of the internet. Like right when I was a kid, if you had tried to describe to me the internet. Right. You're like, wait, what? I can at the push of a button, I can get to anything. But and I'm then, not talking about confusion. I'm talking about something that you you heard and did understand, and you're like, no, that's not a good thing for us to use or adopt. And now, 15 years later, you're like, never mind. It's a great thing. I got one, and then maybe maybe there's people out there who still think this is a bad idea. But I remember when you were first able to put your credit card pay on credit card on the internet. Yeah, and everyone right. being like, nope, not safe. Don't idea. trust it. They right. are, you are gonna they are gonna steal everything out of your bank account, mm-hmm. and now. Maybe there's still people who think that way. Yeah. But I'm like, nope, paying for that. Amazon that, doing that. And, and you totally trust the protections and encryptions that yep. protect people, you, right? People are probably laughing at me right now. You totally trust whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, no, you make a valid point. I still don't think I would use these glasses, and I have no good reason for saying that, other than it weirds me out. You seem, you seem just fine. That's, what, that's my whole point, though. It's yep. arguable that 10, 15 years down the road, it won't weird you out anymore. Very true. And you might be... I mean, you'll get them at a discounted price by then, right? And they I'll need them because I'm old. <laughs> you're just like the older guy whose head is slumping all the time. I was getting shocked all the time. You're just going to be like part bionic. You're going to be like robo pastor with all sorts of limbs and glasses and stuff that keeps yep. you sitting up straight. All right. Well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way that we always do with some interweb insanity. This is stuff that our producers have found online. We have not read them. We have not heard the sound effects. We're going to laugh and cry right along with you. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good. That music can and should mean only one thing. Again, I feel like calling it music is probably elevating what that is to a place it doesn't totally deserve. But let's... We'll stick with it. For the sake of clarity, we'll call it music. This is the end of the show, which means it's time for some interweb insanity. Mm -hmm. Again, if you're just joining us, here's how it works. Our producers have chosen stories that we've not seen, and they're face down on the desk of stories, not our producers. (laughs) And there's uh, (laughs) corresponding sound effects that we have not heard. So we're going to legitimately read them sight unseen. If we stumble on the words, that's legitimate. If we cringe or gasp or laugh, that's all fully and totally organic. So uh, we're going to take a deep dive into some weirdness from the Internet, and it never disappoints. So here we go. Uh, Washington, D.C. A thief breaks into Subway sandwich shop, fixes himself a chicken hero. A hungry crook broke into a Subway sandwich shop in Washington, D.C. and fixed himself a midnight snack. The suspect, wearing a collared shirt and khaki shorts, broke into the store in the northwest section of the city at 1.50 a.m. He grabbed a bag of chips before launching himself over the sandwich counter and falling to the floor, video of the break-in shows. He then scans the sandwich-making area of the fast food shop before settling on a loaf of bread and assembling a foot-long sandwich. Hmm. Police told a local TV station that the chicken sandwich was worth about $8. The suspect stumbled out of the sandwich shop and has not been caught. He is wanted for burglary. You... Filthy criminals. <laughs> We've done that one, haven't we? Yes, we have. All right. Scotland. That was not a good Scottish Scotland. accent. Loch Ness Monster may be a giant eel, says scientists. What? The creatures behind repeated sightings of the fabled Loch Ness Monster may be giant eels, according to scientists. Researchers from New Zealand have tried to catalog all living species in the loch by extracting DNA from water samples. No evidence of a prehistoric marine reptile ca- called a what? What's that word? Plesiosaur? Plesiosaur. Is that right? Plesiosaur. 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 I played bass in Plesiosaur. 
no, nothing. Nope. Right. Nope. Or a large Travis fist such as a. I, I understand. So a large fist such as a as a sturgeon were found. The aim of the research was not to find Nessie, but to improve knowledge of what plants and animals live in the loch. Uh, European eels are among the creatures in the loch whose DNA was picked up by the new research. I think that's Godzilla, right? <laughs> Is that Godzilla? It's hard to keep him straight. That's good enough. Indiana. A woman destroys gas station over $10 hold charge on her credit card. How do you destroy a gas station? Police are asking for the public's help to identify a woman who destroyed a local gas station on Indianapolis's northeast side over a $10 hold charge on her credit card. Huh. The incident was caught on a security camera at the Shell sta- gas station. Detective Ivan Ivanov. Mm, oh, that's an awesome that's name. That's a name. Ivan Ivanov uh, shared the, the video on Nextdoor asking for help on identifying the woman above. If you could see it. Police say the woman in the video walked up to the cash register around 6 p.m. and asked to put $10 on pump four, but made a mistake and went back inside to change it to pump five. The clerk told her it would take 24 hours for the charge to be reversed back to her credit card. So she got angry and started tearing down shelves and breaking the doors. (laughs) Police say the woman caused an estimated $2,500 to $3,000 in damages inside the store. She's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 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 uh. I wonder if that was a $3,000 hold on her card now. (laughs) Uh, I get Florida. I feel so honored. Manatee swims in Florida woman's backyard during Hurricane Dorian. Uh, A manatee in St. Lucie County uh, took advantage of the rising waters due to Hurricane Dorian to grab a nice meal. Corinne Hogan posted video to her Facebook page of the gentle giant swimming up to her backyard to munch on some grass. The tide is so high, we actually have a manatee swimming in our yard right now, Hogan said in the video. That is actually in our yard. Wow, she's a a big girl. Hogan said high tide was up about four feet in Palm City. After the manatee filled up on grass, the animal swam back out to Hidden River. Oh, the huge manatee. <laughs> I think that might be our first pun drop in show history. That was good. That we, was have good. we had one before? I don't think so. That was really good. Oh, the huge manatee. Last one is Rhode Island. A man broke into Taylor Swift's mansion, politely took off shoes, and hung out. Well, what a nice guy. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to laugh at this one, but we're going to. A 26-year-old New Jersey man broke into the beachfront Rhode Island mansion of singer-songwriter Taylor Swift on Friday and removed his shoes because he wanted to be polite. Uh, Richard J. McEwen of Milford is the third man this summer to attempt to enter the 11,744-square-foot home. Oh, my gosh. That's a big house. Swift was not home when a witness said McEwen scaled a wall along the western edge of the five-plus-acre property around 5.10 p.m. Seconds later, a motion detector activated a burglar alarm, triggering a police response. The first cop to arrive found a security guard sitting near a seawall, but the guard wasn't able to hear the alarm because it was too windy. Officers and the security guard soon found McEwen standing in the foyer after they searched outside of the seven-bedroom, nine-bathroom house. The Hunterdon County man made a run for it, but was arrested after a short chase. He told investigators he took off his orange shoes when he got inside because he was taught it was polite to remove (laughs) shoes when a guest in someone's house. Just wasn't taught that it's not polite to break in. Nice. He got into the house by breaking a glass door and began wandering the mansion to find Taylor. Ooh, that's what. Police said he had no weapons and didn't intend to hurt anyone. McEwen, who drove to Westerly from New Jersey earlier in the day, is charged with breaking and entering without the owner's consent. He posted a $5,000 bond and was released.
Is that a Taylor Swift song? I, it's got to be. I can only assume. It's I feel really be. out of the loop that I have no idea if that was actually Taylor Swift or not. You are a Swifty. Let's. Uh, I'm. A, is that even what they're called? That is what they're called. See, you know so much more about this than I would have ever anticipated. Swifty. A Swifty. Well, it's been a heck of a week, man. I hope you guys will join us next week, Monday through Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.